Blog Talk Radio. everyone out there in internet and broadcast land, hello to the listeners on Blog Talk Radio and the listeners on Facebook Live. This is Rhymes Media Group, hashtag Independent Media Monday, and how are you doing? I hope you had a wonderful weekend. I hope that uh, you had time to relax and recharge your batteries because, hey, there's a fight going on and we need you, so we need you good and rested up. Uh, you know, on um Hashtag Independent Media Monday, we like to highlight uh, the people who are doing great work uh, across uh, this vast uh, internet landscape of ours. And today we have a special guest for you today, uh, Dottie Cherry. Uh, She is a Haitian-born journalist, playwright, essayist, and poet who has traveled throughout the world. Her broad interests encompass science, culture, and human rights. She writes extensively about Haiti and world issues such as climate change. Her many contributions to Haitian news include the first proposal that Haiti's cholera had been imported by the United Nations and the first description of Haiti's mineral wealth to the general public. She is the co-editor-in-chief of News Junkie Pulse, and she is also the author of the compelling book, We Have Dared to Be Free, Haiti's Struggle Against Occupation. Uh, Now, hey, uh, Sherry's articles have been republished by Alternet, Z Communications, Synthesis, Regeneration Magazine, WikiLeaks Party, San Francisco Bayview, Black Agenda Report, Popular Resistance, Haiti Liberté, Buzzflash, oh my goodness, Canada, Haiti, Canada, Haiti Action Network, Climate and Capitalism, uh, Op-Ed News, Venezuela Analysis, and Global Research Canada. Articles have also been translated into French, Spanish, Portuguese, German, and Japanese. So, I mean, you know, what else can I say, you know, about this wonderful uh, journalist and this wonderful writer? Uh, what I did mention in that, she is also a very, very, very uh, ardent critic of the Clinton administration and uh, the Clinton quote-unquote foundation. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about that. So make sure you're locked in and ready. Now, I hope you took a look at the uh, hashtag uh, Independent Media Monday's um, uh, reading list, you know, because we do this every Monday. We put out a reading list of good articles to read. So News Junkie Pulse, of course, you know, uh, Haiti's Depopulation, a Globalist Project. Uh, that uh, particular piece is up on um, uh, my uh, Facebook page. Uh, Black Agenda Reports, Corporate Media, Counting Cadence to Fascism, uh, written by Glenn Ford. Uh, Politics First, Where's the Next, uh, where, where Next for the UK Economy. Uh, that's uh, Marcus Papandopoulos' uh, wonderful um, uh, politics, uh, you know, uh, news source uh, in the UK. 
And you have Mempress News, and this is a, you know, really phenomenal read here. Now, we did a whole, we've been doing a whole lot of talking about Trump's connections with Russia and, you know, how before he was uh, inaugurated, how his cabinet members were in touch with, you know, Russia. So that shows and proves, you know, that Russia was behind all of this. Okay. Well, this new piece by Whitney Webb on Mint Press News is is a groundbreaker here. It's a, you know, an earthquake, in my opinion. Russia's largest bank paid the Podesta Group to lobby against U.S. sanctions but during the 2016 election. Are you, are you hearing that correctly? This piece talks about Russia's largest bank paying the Podesta Group to lobby against U.S. sanctions during the 2016 election. So with one hand, the Clinton campaign is speaking against Russia, demagoguing Russia, denigrating Russia, accusing Russia of uh, trying to sway the election. And with the other hand, her campaign manager, his group is collecting money from Russia's largest bank be against the U.S. sanctions during the 2016 election. How about that? Well, 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 well. Wonders never cease, do they? They never cease, do they? <laughs> um, then we have a piece uh, by uh, on the rabbit hole by uh, Sarah Abed, uh, Aleppo Cost, fake news, uh, found on her uh, page, uh, sarahabed.com, and you just go to her writings. And then we have our good friend Greg Mar- uh, Mayberry, uh, a clean break from Pox Americana, his, his spot, Pox Americana, a clean break from Israel, what America needs most, okay? So make sure you check out those. That's at Pox Americana, and Americana is spelled with A-K, uh, dot com. So make sure you check out these wonderful writings that we have posted. Um, on the uh, on my uh, uh, page as far as uh, the Rhymes Media Group's um, the Rhymes Media Group reading list. Um, so this week or this month, excuse me, we will be having Norman Sigelstein <laughs> on March 23rd. Uh, so make sure you pay attention. You know, you make sure you tune in for that. One. That should be a good one. We've got. Dottie on the phone right now. So let's go to Dottie right now. Dottie, how are you? Oh, I'm well, thanks. How are you, Edwards? I am doing fine. Even better since I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been bragging about you, you know, and uh, bragging about your great work, especially about your your mother country, uh, Haiti. Um, and some of the great work you've done when it comes to the book. I mean, I even love the title. We have dared to Thank be you. Free. I mean, it's a wonderful I Haiti struggle against occupation. Uh, so I've been bragging about you a bit, talking about the work you've been doing on News Junkie Pulse as the co-editor-in-chief, and talking about the uh, work you've done, especially uh, outlining the crimes against Haiti. Uh, and, and the things done by a certain administration that start, starts with a C. Uh, and a certain state department <laughs> who was headed by someone whose name starts with an H and in and last name C. So uh <laughs> Yeah. 
<laughs> so, so we're going to yeah. talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the the title of the book is actually borrowed from uh, the Haitian Declaration of Independence. It's really? a beautiful poetic document. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We the part that we have dared to be free part. It's it's really a reference uh, to the fact that we were really alone in promoting the rights of men. Right. Uh, you know, at the exactly. time, you know, the only other republic in the Americas was the United States, and the United States still had slavery. Exactly. Uh, and France had Napoleon, even though mm-hmm. they had had their revolution. Yeah. And so basically saying, well, okay, we're small, uh, but we have done this thing, and we're going to keep going. Yeah. Now, I've always thought, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm quite sure I'm not telling you anything new, I think that since the time of Haiti's independence, uh, she has been punished because she has dared to be free. Um, she's, Haiti has been punished uh, for trying to be independent. Haiti is being punished for being a beacon, especially to black people um, in this hemisphere. Uh, she's been punished over and over again for daring to have their own mind about how their country should be run. Uh, is that your viewpoint as well? Because I, I know it's mine. Yes, I I, I completely agree, yes. Uh, the idea of a black republic uh, that was born out of a revolution uh, mm-hmm. where they fought with weapons, uh, it was not a, it was not a peaceful thing uh, where you ask somebody to be good it, we, we actually just fought and, and we beat the French and the Spanish and the English so yes. a, a little country that came out of beating these big colonial powers was, was a huge threat uh, yeah. and I think that it's, it's always been there as a sort of thorn in the sides of these uh, of these other countries that think of themselves as as being so big and so and so tough, and, and there's more to it than that. It, it it really has to do with with trying the impossible. Right. You see, this is where Haiti really sets an example. You think about mm-hmm. it. These these people had grown up as slaves, and and in fact, two thirds of the Haitians who fought in the revolution were actually were actually people who were born in Africa mm. because because the people who had been born in Haiti, the, the colonists uh, treated their slaves so badly that mm-hmm. the lifetime of a slave was incredibly short. And ba- the attitude was basically, uh, there's a proverb that says, uh, uh, Guinea is a good mother. Uh, basically, the attitude was, well, you know, we can always go buy more. Mm. And so, and so, yeah. to to be kidnapped to a place, and then say, okay, this is ours because we have slaved on it, is mm. is an incredibly revolutionary thing, and it's something yeah. that had very little chance of succeeding, but that people did anyway. And I think that that it sets an example. You know, you can never say. Oh well, this is impossible. I'm not going to try it. I mean, right. the impossible has been done. Yeah, yeah. I, could, I mean, I was... 
and, that was beautifully put. And there is a there is a reason why slave revolutions haven't succeeded in the past. The Haitian Revolution is is the only slave revolution that mm-hmm. has succeeded, and I think it's because these things are mental. Uh, right. The moment you think of yourself as a slave, you lose. So exactly. the, people had to make that leap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, so, so, yeah, and and uh, yeah, this and it continues. Uh, you know, the, the the United States has always kind of been around. Uh, initially, uh, Haiti uh, claimed that it was going to be isolationist, right. but it really wasn't. It really wasn't. Right. It actually well, helped Bolivar free exactly. uh, free Latin America. Exactly. Uh, and the U.S. Uh, has always uh, considered uh, considered Haiti to be a threat. Haiti welcomed escaped slaves from the United States mm-hmm. and from anywhere, in fact. Um, right. And it did not recognize Haitian independence until 1862. Haiti exactly. became independent in 1804. Yes. And every Haitian administration, the U.S., whenever the administration was coming to power, the, the U.S. demanded all sorts of conditions from it as mm-hmm. part of recognizing it. It didn't right. get around to it until quite late. And yeah. it continues more or less that way even now. Uh, you yeah. know, it continued on, you know, with Clinton. Yes, yes. Can you give us, since you started on this wonderful track of uh, giving us the... Uh, somewhat of a timeline of America's intervention into um, Haiti. Can we go into that a little bit deeper? Let's go through the different administrations' attitudes in the U.S. towards Haiti. I mean, it, let's say if I say, okay, let's say uh, FDR. <laughs> or if I say the 30s or the 40s, you know, or, or what, what, oh, yeah. what, what was our relationship? I mean, give us the TikTok of, of how the U.S. has intervened in Haiti. You told us that, okay, they didn't recognize until 1862 that Haiti was actually, a, you know, a country. Um, yeah, so, that's right. So give us a little bit more on that timeline. I mean, that, that, that movement, even after they recognized Haiti, as a country, I mean, what, yeah. what, what would you say uh, throughout well, the, the U.S. Decade? Yeah, yeah, the U.S. actually occupied Haiti between 1915 and 1934. Uh, right. It's interesting you should mention FDR because right. this was, <laughs> yeah, right. this this was uh, mainly during Wilson's administration. You know, or Nobel laureate is another Nobel laureate, by the way. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And uh, and FDR at the time claimed that uh, he had written Haiti's constitution. Uh, <laughs> Haiti's constitution had to be changed, you see, because uh, because well, uh, foreigners weren't allowed to uh, to own land. The only way you could own land in Haiti is if you became Haitian, and if you were a foreigner, you wanted to become Haitian, you had to marry a Haitian. And that's <laughs> more or less the way it was done. Uh, right. and, uh, and so FDR's constitution for the first time allowed foreigners to own land in Haiti. Um, it, uh, well, I mean, it was, the gloves were off, you see. Right. Um, uh, there was supposed to be a Haitian uh, 
well, there was supposed to be a Haitian in charge, but not really a nominal, uh, nominally in charge, together with with an American, okay, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, and the U.S. State Department. Uh, was in charge of the Haitian army that trained an army, it was called the gendarmerie, that mm-hmm. responded directly to the U.S. State Department. Mm-hmm. All of the jobs, all of the white-collar jobs in Haiti went to uh, Southern Democrats. The Democrats mm-hmm. then were Southerners. And uh, you know, exactly. and, uh, so you yeah. had all these kind of racist southerners moving into Haiti to live in villas, with Haitians being their servants. Right. Uh, and they were the only ones who could be officers in this army, but it was an army of Haitians that they trained. So it was Haitians that they trained to to fight against Haitians, and this is being done again. Um, This is supposedly a police, but this is being done again. So Mm -hmm. um, what happened is that uh, the Haitians, the Haitian peasants uh, got together initially fighting with old weapons from the Revolutionary War Mm -hmm. and gradually uh, grabbing new weapons from various posts of this gendarmerie, and right. they put together an army uh, that had, I think, that had about forty thousand men at one time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the U.S. never acknowledged that they were actually at war with Haitians. Yeah. They call right. they call these people bandits. Mm-hmm. These were just yeah, now these they were call just, them, now you know, they call them insurgents and terrorists. Now you know that, right? <laughs> nah, yeah, and, and the ones in Haiti that still call bandits <laughs> or <Really>? gang leaders. <laughs> there, mm-hmm. there are people, I suspect there are people now in Haiti who are actually fighting, uh, and they'll call gang leaders and bandits, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So this guy called Charlemagne Perrault, uh, he led this group, uh, of uh, this army of mostly peasants. And uh, and at one point they controlled all the north of the country, <laughs> and uh, right. but ultimately he was um, a, a man called uh, Conze uh, turned traitor uh, and told uh, and told U.S. officers where to find him, uh, and he was killed. Uh, and so it didn't finish. It didn't finish as an armed revolt. But it did finish with a lot of strikes, uh, a lot of protests, and uh, then came the stock market crash, and it was no longer so appetizing to go take over a place and and, uh, start investing and so on. Um, Mm -hmm. And by then, FDR was president. Right. he uh he had uh, he had a study done where they showed that uh, that the US army was causing all sorts of atrocities had actually been lynching people and uh and they decided based on this that they were going to withdraw so when FDR actually returned to Haiti it was to lower the american flag which had been raised throughout this time and raise the haitian flag in a big ceremony Mm-hmm. Okay. And and uh, now the Clinton administration was really curious about this. Yeah. Uh, now even that's though what I, they haven't. 
that's where I want you to really get into is the Clinton administration because to me that is that is I'm serious because that is the in my opinion a crucial turning point when it comes to Haiti in the U.S. So uh-huh. I'm listening. We're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the Clinton administration is based in large part on that occupation that took place in 1915 to 1934. Uh, you know, you had uh, this U.S. High Commissioner uh, who was supposed to run Haiti uh, back then, and Clinton kind of took that role. Right, and uh, so that he could run the country together with some with a with a Haitian puppet. Uh, and ultimately, you know, he brought the UN to train this this new Haitian army that we're now calling a police. Mm-hmm. But Clinton Clinton didn't really get his hooks into Haiti. I mean, I don't think he really noticed Haiti much until nineteen the the early nineteen nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, in nineteen ninety one, uh, Aristide was removed from the country. Right. Okay, and then soon after that, Clinton got elected, and I and uh, I think Aristide went to Clinton for help, and uh, and Clinton did help him, uh, and Clinton got the support of Haitian Americans in the United States in his election for promising to do that, uh, but he, he brought back he brought back Aristide in in what I think. In what I, I saw actually was physically a plexiglass box. <laughs> and Aristide, he was always behind these plexiglass shields and he was completely surrounded by you know by, by, by these big guards. He was he was completely uh, he was completely ineffectual, really. Right. Uh, when he was brought back. Right. And that's when Clinton more or less started uh, running the country. And he did it mostly through uh, the prime ministers. In right. Haiti, the, the executive is split into two. There's the president, uh, and then the president names a prime minister who's approved by the parliament. Uh, the president is elected. The prime minister is not. The mm. prime minister is actually the run who, who puts together a cabinet and runs and runs the country. The president, uh, the president is in charge of the army, uh, and his uh, his role is actually more ceremonial. It's the prime minister who runs the show. So you're saying that the okay. president is just merely a figurehead, right? The president is kind of a figurehead. Yeah. Uh, he okay. deals with the army. He does mm-hmm. have to sign on uh, various treaties, but it's the prime minister who runs the government. Right. Okay. He is the one who picks, like he is the one who picks the the minister of uh, education, the minister of tourism, all, all of that. It comes under the prime minister, and and the U.S. was picking the prime ministers. Have yeah, been picking the prime ministers, and I think you know, uh, yeah, okay, and um, and so one of the first one of the first things Clinton did was uh, dump Arkansas rice on Haiti, mm-hmm. subsidize Arkansas rice uh, that that basically just destroyed. Uh, the, the rice economy in the country. I mean, Haiti had an agricultural economy 
Mm-hmm. And yes. very gradually, the, uh, Clinton has chipped away at this. At this point now, um, Haiti is down to four agricultural exports. Mm. And only about 29 million worth of agricultural exports. This is a country, not a company. So it's, it's yeah. basically nothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's but, not even a drop Haiti, in the process. It's nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. Haiti's agricultural economy has been completely destroyed. That was the first thing uh, he did. The other thing, uh, the other thing he did is started setting up what are called... Uh, Free trade zones. Mm-hmm. I call them I call them sweatshop zones. Yeah. What these are are these big factories, usually set up near a body of water because these are textile factories. And textile factories actually use water, and they pollute a lot of water. Uh, right. That started under Aristide. During that time when he, he brought back Aristide, this is when that started, and then it got it got bigger and bigger. But what? And he also got all these deals for companies mm-hmm. that that ran in these free trade zones. They have they have basically uh, no limit on how much they can they can export to the United States. Uh, they don't get taxed. Uh, it, it, they, it's 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 basically uh, the best deal they could get, and then on top of that, uh, they were paying workers. They've been paying workers uh, since since the mid two thousands until now, about about thirty five to fifty cents per hour. Goodness, repeat that. Thirty five to fifty cents per hour. Repeat that again. The free trade zones that are run in Haiti and that Clinton helped to establish in Haiti that make textiles for companies like Walmart, The Gap, Kohl's, etc. They pay workers. They have paid workers since the mid-2000s, 35 to 50 cents per hour. Good Lord. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. And they claim from time to time that they're going to increase this wage. But what they do now is uh, they pay the workers in the Haitian currency, which is called a good, Haitian goods. Mm-hmm. And then they keep changing the exchange rate arbitrarily hmm. uh, for the dollar. You yeah. see, since, since Haitians now have import all their food uh, and even have to buy water because well first there is the cholera epidemic but in addition you have all these all these textile factories uh, polluting uh, mm-hmm. various bodies of water various rivers and so on people are having right. to buy water right and so they are doing this on 35 to 50 cents per hour and uh, <laughs> yes, this this is what's yeah. going on. And I have looked, and this relates and this relates to prisons in in the United States. I have looked. The only wages that are lower than this are prison wages. 
Mm-hmm. In the United yeah. States, uh, workers in, in prisons make, uh, you know, basically zero to about 25 cents per hour. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And what, yeah, and what's happening now is they're building a bunch of prisons in Haiti. So we're getting, so Haiti is getting prison aid. And everybody wonders, people ask, well, why are they building prisons uh, and not homes? And, uh, well, <laughs> you know, well, first exactly. of all, I mean, you, you know, well, building you homes build... is obviously the correct thing to do. Exactly. Be- yeah. Because homes are needed. But homes mm-hmm. are needed in, in the United States, too. There are plenty of homeless people in the United States. Yes, yes. Obviously, yeah. the U.S. would would house its own population first before it would yeah. go housing anybody else. Why would why would the U.S. house Haitians exactly. before it took care of its own population? Well, you can't make In, money off the homeless. <laughs> you can make money off the yeah, prisoners, but you can't make money off right. the homeless. Yes. <laughs> yes, the prisoners. I think are the. I, I think the prisoners are the ultimate in consumerism. I mean, they, it's basically exactly. a consumer that you completely control. Mm-hmm. Right. You you right. you decide what they eat. <laughs> you you mm-hmm. decide what they wear. Right. Uh, you know, you decide what they do if you put them to work. Exactly. Uh, and and people should be concerned about this because. These are big corporations, and corporations mm-hmm. make money by growing. Exactly, exactly. They've incentivized yeah. uh, mass incarceration is exactly what they've done. They've incentivized Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yes. It's a business. And, uh, yeah, Clinton's friends, they build prisons. They don't build homes. No. You know, they're donated to the Clinton Foundation, and they mm-hmm. get to build prisons. Exactly. In exactly. places like Haiti. Yeah. Now tell us, tell us, since we're talking about the Clinton, tell us how they pillaged other than prison, because there's a whole, there's a, a huge list of things that Hillary did as Secretary of State uh, that what happened mm. during the Clinton administration, how they, how they raped and pillaged, they and their friends have been pillaged uh, Haiti. Uh, to 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 enrich their bank accounts. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So around so that went on like this for a while, just just with right. their with their sweatshops and so on. But in 2009, Hillary Clinton became Secretary of State, so she had control of the State <laughs> Department and USAID. Yeah. And uh, and I think it's it's surely not a coincidence that the same year. Clinton became a UN special envoy to Haiti. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Clinton was set up in Haiti, and Hillary was Secretary Secretary of State. Uh, the earthquake happened a few months later, and and Hillary declared that Haiti would be a laboratory for building back better. She actually mm-hmm. said this. Yeah. Uh, and she put um, Cheryl Mills in charge of, of the Haiti project. Uh, and uh, 
so she's the she's the one who got involved with this um, SAE Trading uh, Corporation, which is a textile company from uh, from South Korea. That mm-hmm. that set up in this area of the country that was that was absolutely pristine, an area called Caracol. The farmers had just planted their crops. They didn't know what was going on. Somebody came, bulldozed the whole thing, cleaned it up, and started building. And in in less than a year, they were inaugurating this massive, massive textile plant. Mm. And it it turned out that Cheryl Mills uh, was a good friend of the CEO of the first company that occupied this thing, this SAE Trading. And the same company was her backer when she started this uh, this thing called the Black Ivy Group, which is a, which is a, a sort of a construction um, outfit that works in, in places like Tanzania and Ghana and Trinidad Tobago. Mm-hmm. So, these, so these people are everywhere. Right. But but the thing they did after the earthquake that was most significant was within a couple of months they had uh, the Haitian parliament voting mm-hmm. to basically turn over the government to, to Bill Clinton. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. They, exactly. they, they they were voting on a state of emergency to allow Bill Clinton to run the reconstruction of Haiti for 18 months. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they got, they got it through the lower house, which would be like the House of Representatives. The Senate was a more difficult thing. It took, about, it took three different votes to get the Senate uh, to vote yes on this. And, uh, and the day before the final vote, Michelle Obama personally went to Haiti pressured the Haitian president, uh, yeah. you know, to, to get his people, to get his party to vote on it. Everybody in his party voted for this thing. Uh, and then there was one additional vote, which was not from his party. And that's how they just barely got a majority. But then they set this thing up, which is called <laughs> IHRC. I call it I, Hillary Rodham Clinton. <laughs> and and uh, it's supposed to be, you know, interim Haiti Recovery Commission. But what this was was uh, Clinton getting together with a group of rich donors or organizations. Um, and it got them to commit, each to commit a couple of billion dollars uh, in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in two years. And right. this way, in like three, in, in three years, he managed to raise, he got everybody committed almost right. immediately. Uh, and he managed to raise nine and a half billion dollars that way. It was, right. it was basically Clinton putting himself in front of all the, all, of all the charity coming mm-hmm. into Haiti after the earthquake. Everything right. that came in officially from places like the World Bank, from the UN, you name it, all of it had to pass yeah. through Clinton and his friends. Okay. Now, there was so $9.5 billion. Right. There was a book called... Only... 
Go ahead. Okay. There was a book called the Clinton Clinton Cash. Can't remember the name of the author, yes. but some of this was detailed um, in that book as well. Uh, the very things that you're speaking about when it came to Clinton, uh, especially Bill Clinton controlling the budget, controlling the economy of Haiti during that time during the Reconstruction, uh, the so-called Reconstruction. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Clinton cash f- focused on, on something a little bit different. Focused on the yeah. Clinton Foundation. Yeah. And that was a charity that you basically gave money to if you wanted a piece of the action in Haiti. Right, exactly. Or, or anywhere else involving, invo- involving the State Department. And more to the point, the Clinton Global Initiative of the uh, Clinton Foundation, which they uh-huh. closed that's and right. shut down after the uh, Hillary lost the election. That's right. They shut it down. They shut yeah. it down, but the Clinton Foundation is still around. You right, see? exactly. They're, they're trying to confuse people. The Clinton Foundation exactly. is not gone. The CGI is gone, but Clinton, Clinton exactly. Foundation is still around. Exactly. And and most people don't talk about the IHRC, but mm-hmm. it, the Clinton Foundation, the money raised for Haiti directly through the Clinton Foundation after the earthquake was only $30 million. Mm-hmm. Through exactly. the IHRC, they raised $9.5 billion. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and they spent only about 3% of that. Mm-hmm, right. They have 3%. not accounted for what happened to the rest of the money. 3%. 97% unaccounted for. That's right. So and it's a, a, a 97% of $9.5 billion. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So 3%, 3% of almost $10 billion is a lot of money. Yeah. And so... <laughs> yeah, and so you know they they, they spent uh, you know they spent it on this industrial park, a prison here, a prison there, and and uh, and it looks like they did a whole bunch of stuff, but in right. fact, ninety-seven percent of that money is missing. Right. Right. You know. Now, from the point of view of the United States, I think people are more concerned about the the Clinton Foundation because. Because of this idea of tit for tat, that you know people were putting money into this thing and they were getting they were getting favorable decisions from the state department, right. and, yeah. and it's hard to believe that all this was innocent. <laughs> no, from, far from innocent, especially when in Haiti. If, correct me if I'm wrong. Her brother-in-law, her brother, excuse me, got a piece of the action. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, her brother-in-law. Her brother-in-law got involved with a company uh, that that tried to get mining mining rights in Haiti. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, what they did uh, was they uh, they tried to do this under cover of Christmas in mm-hmm. December 2012. Right. Instead of instead of getting a decision from the Senate. There's a Senate committee that does this. Instead of getting a decision from the Senate, mm-hmm. they just talk to one person, the director of mining, and then they put out these press releases that they got mining rights. It was two companies. Right. And one of them had a former prime minister, 
and uh, and Hillary Clinton's brother, Tony Rodham. Right. Exactly. Uh, in in fact, in 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 Christmas 2012, I was watching this, and as soon as I saw those press releases, I uh, I started blasting the news. And what mm. happened after that is that the, when the Senate met again, they invalidated that decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But of course, these people never give up. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're you know they're still at it. They're still trying to get. They're still trying to get mining rights. So mm-hmm. the mining is a big deal. So it's basically right. the mining and the labor that right. that have really had these people um, excited about about Haiti. There is mm. a lot of gold and silver. There's a mountain chain that goes right through the country and all the way to the yep. Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. It's got yeah. lots of gold and silver, especially copper, right. and right. they think they can mine it uh, for very cheap. But if you do that, then you pollute, uh, you you cause a lot of pollution. Right. Exactly. Uh, I mean, it could be mined. Haiti could actually benefit from this, but uh, obviously, you would have to have a government that cares about these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, not just a government, yeah. but a population within this country to care about it as well, to to put that type of pressure on politicians. Um, That's right. So, yeah, you need an right. engaged public to do that as well, too. And, and, and that's, they've done a good job of making this country as uh, illiterate as it possibly can be on foreign affairs. I mean, we are a foreign affairs oh. illiterate country. We are. Yes. Yeah. Uh, fortunately for Haiti, Clinton did a great job of of, uh, <laughs> of telling people about the earthquake. Yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so now, uh, all these people who have donated money to help Haitians the earthquake are pretty mad. Right. Exactly. That nothing has been done. That this money has been appropriated. Uh, and that things are in fact worse than they were immediately after the earthquake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But exactly. in Haiti too, there is a there is a problem with with the population. I think it's a bit different from here. In Haiti, the the population, and when I talk about the population, I'm talking about the 95 percent of Haitians who are dark and who are mm-hmm. poor. Right. Uh, you know, the elite doesn't even think of these ordinary people as humans. Right. You know, they they really don't care about these people. Yeah, uh, exactly. Now, they they are really fed up with the government. Mm. Uh, they they feel that the only t- the only time the government knows anything about them or cares anything about them is when there are elections. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they have been systematically boycotting the elections. These these last elections uh, that they made such a fuss about uh, about eight there was about an eight percent turnout. They eight? have tried to cover it up. That eight percent, eight percent. They they right. made it. They reported it as twenty one percent. They've made it mm-hmm. look like twenty one percent, but it's really eight percent. Mm. 
And that's why, really, nobody has cared that the guy who really lost the election is the one who was actually president. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> because, because exactly. you know, he got he supposedly got fifty percent of eight percent. It's it's not <laughs> even that. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, so it's it's a it's a different kind of situation where people do not feel that that they're being represented. They don't trust the politicians. They feel that the politicians are just uh, getting hands out handouts on their behalf that never mm-hmm. gets to them. Uh, people, uh, the unemployment is higher than 85%. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is hunger uh, because, as I mentioned before, the agricultural economy is is finished right. uh, and uh, and people are having to live on imported food and it's very, very hard to do that. Right. Now, you wrote and so a people piece. are. Go ahead. Yeah, so mostly what it is is a remittance economy. Uh, mm-hmm. People are living in Haiti because because of their families elsewhere who are sending money to them. Right, right. You know, uh, uh, and so the government living, now... So the Haitians is, are living begin- off the generosity of, of people who are sending them money is what you're saying. Of people who are sending them money, especially other Haitians in the diaspora, there are about two million Haitians living living abroad who send money home. Okay. Haiti gets about two billion dollars a year from Haitians who live abroad. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is this is what's keeping people going. Yeah. And the government is taking a cut of that money that they send home. The government yeah. is taxing the phone calls that people make home. Hmm. They're, they're, they're now using this as a way to make money, but even worse than that, what what they're doing is they're deliberately depopulating the country mm-hmm. to yeah. create more diaspora. And at wow. the same time, to to relieve some pressure to get rid of people who right. are likely to to become dissatisfied. Right. Exactly. And, now I got. I have so, a question for you, uh, a piece you wrote because uh, I don't want to for us to run out of time before you, you, you we talk about this. There was a piece you wrote called Six Ways Trump Can Help Haiti Recover from Clinton Disaster." Now you outlined oh, yeah. things in that piece. Uh, first mm-hmm. question I have for you before we get into the six things. Looking at Trump, because he's been in office now for 52 days now, do you think that he is honestly going to be any sort of answer for Haiti? I mean, does it, does it even look like he's leaning in the direction, that direction at all? Well, I am, um, I am watching very closely right. and reserving judgment until, until okay. I see what goes on. Um, okay, so the, the six ways I wrote that Trump can help Haiti are number one, to bring the right. Clintons to justice. Yes. Uh, now, uh, I, there are people investigating the Clintons, and there are hints that this may happen, but obviously they haven't been charged with anything yet. No. Uh, they are not in court yet, so, so we're watching. 
Another another way is to help Haiti diplomatically to uh, recover damage from the cholera epidemic. Uh, the U.S. has a lot of influence uh, with the U.N. Yeah, uh, and and this is this is something that can be done, and the UN is being very wishy-washy about this. They're saying, well, um, you know, we need to raise money to do this, but of course, nobody wants to give them money anymore for anything related to Haiti because they know what they've done. Right, uh, and, and so um, and and so that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Now. Uh, one thing is ending the UN occupation. Now, on this, uh, Nikki Haley, who is the U.S. ambassador to the UN, has yeah. announced that that the U.S. will make cuts to its UN budget, uh, and especially to the peacekeeper budget. Mm-hmm. And that is and that is great news. It hasn't it hasn't happened yet. There are discussions right. going on right now. Right. And and the way the discussion is going, the UN is trying to keep its feet there. There are right. um, there are two groups of UN people in Haiti. Well, it's more than two, but two main groups. Uh you have the UN troops and you have the UN police. Right. Uh, they're represented by different countries. The UN, mm-hmm. they want to, re- and they're basically half and half. Each one now is about 2,500. Uh, and they want to remove the UN troops uh, uh, and, and keep the UN police. Mm-hmm. And I think Canada is is the country that's really pushing for this. Right. And, and, uh, and people really need to push for the UN to be out of Haiti. If, if there is... If there is an example to be made, it is most definitely Haiti, where they've completely screwed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've infected the country with cholera not once, but at least twice. Right. Uh, and they've been. Infected, right. Yeah. They they infected. They yeah they've infected. They they've infected. Uh, 700,000 people and, and uh, you know, killed about about 8,000 now. I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. Uh, it, they, they need to be out. But even worse than that, the initial infection was in was in October 2010. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, and this was a cholera from Nepal. They infected right. Haiti again after 2012 with a cholera that's from Bangladesh. Right. So even at at the time they were being sued about the cholera from Nepal, they were still infecting the country. Mm-hmm. So there is no excuse for that. They they have right. to get out, and I think every single one of them has to be out, not just the troops, but also the police. Right. And and I and I I think what the uh, the Trump administration is doing is good. It, it's not just that they're cutting the peacekeepers in Haiti; they're cutting the peacekeepers. Period. And right. and I think that's great news for the world all around. I think it's fantastic mm-hmm. because this was headed toward a world army mm-hmm. that could be moved anywhere to to repress people. Right. So so I think this is actually fantastic. Another mm-hmm. thing that uh, number four of my list was to fire uh, State Department and USAID from uh, Clinton Obama oh. in Haiti, and right. uh, and Trump. Uh, just recently announced there were going to be 30% cuts to USAID. 
particularly, you know, the, the foreign aid component. And that is also good. Now, you wouldn't think that cutting aid to countries in, that's supposed to help countries is good. But in fact, this, is, this aid is not helpful. Uh, right. The money is used to corrupt politicians. Right. It is used to hire Americans and to, to, to hire people in NGOs to work in other countries mm-hmm. and to create unemployment in those countries. Right. and to undermine the actual structures in those countries. So mm-hmm. it is totally not helpful. Uh, so this is, this is actually very good news. Do you know that, that USAID has bragged that 85% of the money is, it spends uh, comes back to the United States? Yeah, exactly. That's also, that was 85%. <laughs> 85% of the aid money actually goes back. Yeah, yeah. and that yes. was something that they bragged about. I mean, that, this is, that, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. So I think, that's, I think that is great. And I also, again, I think it's great that it's not mm-hmm. just Haiti, but it's everywhere. I think, I think that will be good all over. Um, the policy of non-interference in, in Haiti's affairs, Haiti's elections, um, yeah. I think that's good, even when, even when Haitians make mistakes and they screw up and they're cheating in the elections. Uh, these are Haiti's, these are Haiti's affairs, and Haitians need to right. deal with it. Right. Uh, yeah. And then the other thing was to stop U.S. agricultural subsidies. Right. A lot of Americans don't know this. I mean, there's, the farm bills mm-hmm. come up for review regularly. Right. They don't know that the U.S. government actually subsidizes certain crops that Mm -hmm. then get dumped into other people's countries to undermine their agriculture. Yeah. So that's another way, I think, to... to, Like Africa and the cotton crop. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And, And Egypt, Egypt and wheat... Bangladesh, yep. it's everywhere, exactly. and it's USAID that it's done through USAID too. Yeah. So, so with Haiti, it's rice. Mm-hmm. I think, I think Haiti could probably recover its rice economy if if the US wasn't constantly dumping rice in the country. So, right. so all of these things, all of these things are actually things. It's it's these are not you know asking for a handout or anything. These are things that no. the U.S. actually does to help Haiti right. that I think the U.S. should stop doing. So I think those things exactly. can be easily given. Yeah. You see, and so yeah. and so yeah. So that's uh, so I wrote this and I, so I think uh, I think Trump is sincere when he says that he cares about. America first. He cares about the United States and Americans first. Um, and that can be a good thing <laughs> if it also well, I, means I non-interference well, in other places. Well, this is why I diverge slightly. I think he cares about certain Americans first. <laughs> Some uh-huh. of us, I don't think he cares about it much, but that's another conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's another conversation. But you know, uh, th- there are some things that are not some things that are not so obvious. Like, for example, the immigration right. policy. Right. So I just finished talking about the fact that 
that Haiti itself is dispersing its own population. Mm-hmm. And and you have like thousands of people at, at the U.S. Uh, border in Tijuana and other places trying to right. enter the United States. These are educated people mm-hmm. who are leaving Haiti. These mm-hmm. are people, if they were in Haiti, who would who would want to change Haiti or would have to change Haiti. Mm-hmm. So I don't see it exactly as a as a minus that these people might have to go back to Haiti. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at this point in the world, um, it, it's you cannot run anymore. You cannot you cannot go anywhere. And if you leave no. your own country, <laughs> you wind up someplace else without rights. At least mm-hmm. in your own country, you have rights. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and so, I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing that uh, mm-hmm. that some people may have to go back to to Haiti, who had gone mm-hmm. to Brazil, who had gone to Chile, uh, um, mm-hmm. because they were, you know, they were basically invited there by a bunch of coyotes. I mean, these people have been abused and taken advantage of by right. their own government and by a whole bunch of other governments and, and, and by various con artists. Right. Uh, and it would not be such a bad thing for them to be in Haiti uh, to to stop the apathy, to educate people about what really is going on, and to change yeah. things. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I... And so it's not... You know, things are not, you know, it's not just a matter of saying, oh, well, you know, let's welcome the immigrants. You know, no country wants to lose its middle class. No, Uh, no country does. Um, Yeah. And and my, I guess my problem uh, with the way the discussion, and I mean, because you can't separate, in my opinion, Trump's rhetoric from his policies. And... Mm -hmm. I, where where I believe that, yes, a country should keep its best and its brightest, and that's been part of the problem with a lot of countries where there's been a predominantly black population. They've lost their best and their brightest. So I understand that aspect of it. But the mm-hmm. language, the lang- I've, I've seen this, I'm old enough to know where the language goes, uh, <laughs> being a grandfather now and seeing, you know, uh-huh. racism in its you know, seeing racism in all its various forms, I understand uh, where certain rhetoric does go and where it goes. I do believe in protecting one's borders, but not at the expense of demonizing groups of people. And that's been my biggest problem uh, with Trump and some of his supporters, the demonization of immigrants. Hey, if you want to, because he's only following Obama's playbook when it came to certain immigration policies. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like he was starting something new. Um, and that's why I uh-huh. disagree with a lot of people who don't see it that way. But the demonization of groups of people as a means of saying we're going to change uh, immigration policy will always be a problem for me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, you, you don't can, want to demonize groups of people. Yeah. And yes, and you do not want to claim that uh, uh, most of the uh, most of the crime is coming from immigrants because that that yeah. is simply not true. Exactly. Um, you know there, there aren't exactly. enough immigrants for this to be true. Exactly. Um, exactly. 
yes. So so I agree with that. But yeah. I I disagree with the idea of just like scooping up uh, entire populations of middle class right. people. Uh, exactly. And then pretending that uh, you're doing the world a great favor by doing that. Exactly. Exactly. Be- because it is not it is not a favor to a country, uh, to right. Syria or to Haiti or to Iraq, to right. lose its professionals. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, the thing is, is yeah. that the best thing we can do is stop creating immigrants. If we leave other countries alone. We wouldn't have the immigration. We wouldn't have to worry about immigration as much as we seem well, to worry. Yes, we create That's our own true. immigration concerns. Yeah, but you know, uh, and this is where, uh, and this is where we have people like George Soros and uh, and my colleague mm-hmm. Julien Mercier has he has spoken quite a bit oh, about yeah. this uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. in in Jackie Post. Uh, right. But but I I believe that there there are people in the world who would love to make everybody an immigrant mm-hmm. <laughs> because because then you lose all your rights then the idea right. of a nation state become becomes uh, exactly. unimportant exactly. nationalism becomes unimportant then you can mm-hmm. just set up this kind of globalist agenda where mm-hmm. everybody is being uh, taken advantage of Nobody, right. nobody really has anything to fight for. Nobody has a piece of land that they consider to be theirs. Nobody has a culture they consider to be specific. Mm-hmm. Everybody's just thrown, you know, scattered to the winds to be taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there are people who are actually, uh, who are actually, well, the right word is evil, who are actually evil enough to really mm-hmm. envision this kind of stuff. Right. And right. And as as you get more more climate change events, uh, displacing people and so on, uh, this kind of thing can be done much more easily. Right. Uh, and right. and it's and it's uh, and it's not good. And it's it's actually it's very scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, even within the United States, you had people. Uh, get kicked out of, uh, you know, uh, Louisiana and Mississippi, you know, uh, wind up, wind up in Texas and Mm -hmm. Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, lost a lot of population, lost a lot of political uh, clout because of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have displacement within the United States. It seems to be something that we forget, you know. Um, Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Within the United States. Uh, yeah. yeah. What can we look for in the future from News Junkie Post and, in particular, Dari Shari? What can we look forward to? Uh, well, uh, the next thing I'm going to take on uh, is going to be uh, is going to be the prison industrial complex. Oh. Um, Looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I want to uh I want to discuss this because well you know they 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 are the ones who always started but if they started I'll finish it. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> well, that's going to be a long time because this started right after this started right after slavery in this country. The prison and I mean when it really boomed. So we've been on this for a long time. We perfected it in this country. We have perfected yeah. 
mass incarceration like no other country in the history of the world. So you might be waiting for oh, a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this mass incarceration thing yeah. is this incarceration thing is not going global. Yeah. And as ever, more. when they start to go global, Haiti is the yeah. laboratory. Exactly. And they exactly. have now built uh, f- four prisons in Haiti. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, they're inaugurating these things. And incredibly exactly. enough, they are, quote, they are quoting Mandela during the inauguration. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> talk, talk about Orwellian, huh? Like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is like yes. great. This is like this is like a bigger a bigger rabbit hole that I ever conceived that they would use Mandela. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. They... <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's really weird. <laughs> I mean, and, and they're I talking about how. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in Haiti now, about seventy percent of the prison population has not even been charged. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and that so, sounds like what we're and, doing here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they go and instead of saying, "Well, you know, let's do something and release these people," they say, right. "Oh well, those prisons are overcrowded. Let's build more prisons." Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? well, that makes sense. Makes a whole lot yeah, of right, <laughs> right, and so. <laughs> <laughs> and so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about, you know, I want to bring back Clinton again and the prison bill and, and uh, <laughs> you know, the three strikes, you're out, all that stuff. Yeah. And, okay. and connect that to, to the stuff that's being done globally. Right. Right. Okay. That yeah. would be wonderful. Well, <laughs> we're at the end of the program now. It's so wonderful speaking with you. I'm so glad we finally connected. Uh, this it was been, great uh, that we hooked up. Yeah, yeah. So we have to. This won't be the last time. I'll be tapping on your shoulder again. <laughs> I'll be tapping on your shoulder again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Dottie Street, Haitian born journalist, also co editor in chief of News Junkie Post, author of We Have Dared to Be Free Haiti's Struggle Against Occupation. Thank you for joining us, Dottie. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I should mention also, Jackie Post has published The Orwellian Empire by Gilbert Mercier, and our most recent title is called Kafka Sutra by Intia Zaktar. There you go. Thank you for that plug, all right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all right, take care now. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, that was a wonder. I mean, you know, I have heard Haiti talked about before, but never in that fashion. I mean, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful deconstruction of Haitian politics, of Haitian history, of what the future looks like for Haiti. Uh, Just a wonderful exposition of um, the uh, affairs in Haiti. I hope You've been uh, motivated to learn more about what's going on in Haiti in our name as a country, as, as, as the U.S. Um, and I hope that, um, you know, you continue to support uh, independent media like News Junkie Post, uh, like Rhymes Media Group. You know, we need the support. We need the help. We can only go as far as your support many times allows us to go. 
And if you're tired of corporate media, if you're tired of politically partisan media, then you need to vote against that, rebel against that with your support for independent media. And yes, that also means support not just in listening, but in dollars and cents. It takes money to do the things that we're doing. It takes funds to do the things that we're doing. So we could use your support. So think about supporting uh, independent media while you're at it, all right? Hey, everybody, this is the end of the show. And Thelma Rhymes' grandbaby boy has got to go. God bless you. Take care. And by all means, be safe.